Father, we are grateful that you have spoken to us, that you have uh, communicated to us through human authors uh, in a way that is uh, clear, in a way that is inspired, in a way that is truthful, God, in a way that is necessary, uh, and in a way that is sufficient uh, for, for all that we need for, uh, for life, faith, uh, and following you. We ask that you would give us insight as we turn to your word now. God, give us humble hearts. Lord, that we would come as learners uh, knowing that we don't know everything and that we need your wisdom. God, would you, would you also help us to come as worshipers, uh, knowing that we are prone to worship the wrong thing, but that you speaking to us through your word is a way of recalibrating, realigning our minds and our hearts that we would worship you. Help us also to come to your word as disciples, as people who want to not just hear ideas or hear insights, but who want to hear and do, to hear and obey. Lord, we can't get our hearts uh, in that state, but you can do it by your spirit. And so we ask you by your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts to be humble and contrite, that we would tremble under the authority and the good news of your word this morning. God, help us to not simply see places where we fall short, but help us to see the good news of Jesus and his grace that not only forgives us, but grace that transforms us. So we ask for your help in all these things. We know, God, that you will, you will do this. We know that you will do a work in each of us through your word because your word never comes back void. So we rest on that promise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I, I get a sense of sleep. Uh, I, I, I sense a spirit of sleep over this room, okay? So I'm going to say, how are you guys doing this morning? You guys are going to respond to that, okay? How are you doing this morning? Good. good. So someone say sleep. <laughs> okay, good. Let's, let's, God has good things for us from his word every time we come to it, right? So let's be here with expectant hearts, right? Expecting God to meet with us through his word, okay? Um, that will help me to do, to do my job to, uh, to serve us together, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's go ahead and read the text, and then we'll jump into discussing uh, what God has for us here. The Apostle Paul uh, writes this. We'll look at the first uh, 18 verses. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For, I, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. The Apostle Paul is responding to charges, slander, critique made against him by particular leaders and prominent people in the Corinthian church. And part of their critique against Paul is that Paul really, his resume, his credentials as an apostle are, are, are pretty shaky. Paul doesn't receive payment Paul is not a great preacher. He's not eloquent like many of the other preachers and teachers within uh, the, the early church or in the city of Corinth. Paul, Paul just looks a little bit shaky in his credentials. And so they, there's this kind of attack against Paul's status as an apostle. And Paul, as he has been writing this letter, has been doing numerous things, teaching the Corinthians uh, the difference between the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of their city versus the wisdom of God. And now in this section, Paul is beginning to talk about this idea of rights, what we can do, our own rights versus doing what is best for others. And in chapter 8, Paul has just laid out the reality that the Corinthians were so obsessed with their rights that they used their rights in such a way that it did harm to others within their church. And now Paul, as he continues that discussion of rights, he begins to talk about his own rights and how his own use of his rights actually shows his status as an apostle. So Paul begins to say this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Do I not have the right to eat and drink? Do I not have the right to have with me a believing wife like everybody else does? Do I not have within me the right to get paid for preaching the gospel to you? Or do I, am I forced to just continue to work a manual labor job in order to pay my way? And Paul's big point is this, that scripture, Moses, Jesus in verse 14 himself says that a minister of the gospel has the right to be paid for their labor in the gospel. But Paul makes this point, I lay down all of these rights because I don't want to put any burden or obstacle in between me helping other people know about Jesus. Paul says, I sacrifice the paycheck because my boast, he says, my delight, my joy is to sacrifice for the gospel so that I can preach the gospel for free because I want to do anything within my power to help people know about Jesus. This is interesting because I don't know about you, but my tendency is not to go around looking for ways in which I can sacrifice when it's not necessary. That, that's, not my, that's not my MO. That's not the way I'm wired. But for Paul, there is something happening in his understanding of who he is. There is something happening in his understanding of the world that leads him to look at these areas in which he can sacrifice his own rights in order to benefit others. 
Paul has the sort of mind frame where he looks and sees that, oh, in this situation, I can lay down my rights here in order to benefit these people over there. Now, what is it that is happening in his mind and his heart that leads him to that type of action? I have an answer that I would like to humbly present to you, if I may. That Paul has an understanding of his place in a story that is most of the time different than ours. Jonathan Gottschall, a PhD psychologist, wrote this book called The Story-Changing Animal about how story is so important for human experience. And he says this, he says that for humans, story is like gravity, an inescapable field of force that influences everything. Another way to think of it is that as human beings, we are story creatures. We only make sense of our activity, our identity, and what we do and don't do under the framework of a story that we're in. And a story has a beginning, a conflict, a middle, an end, a goal, a resolution, a sense of why we're here, a sense of what we're moving towards, and a sense of our place in all of that movement. Story shapes how we live. Let me give you this as an example. How many of you love driving in our city? No. Driving in our city is a place where, you, where if you don't think you're a sinner, just drive in our city, right? Just drive in our city for 12 hours and just see the things that come out of your mouth and the thoughts that you think. 12 hours straight, I'm talking about, like from, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., right? And then probably a couple hours in, you're going to realize, wow, maybe I do really need this Jesus, right? But when we drive, right, any, any of you have done this where you're driving and you're late, right? And as soon as you get out of the driveway, you already know you're late. And so your attitude on the road is basically, why are all of these other cars against me? Do they not know that I'm late? Do they not understand that I'm late? Right? So get out of my way. Right? Why are you, why are you stopping when it's yellow? I'm late. Go. Right? Well, think about this. What is the person in that car thinking? You're only stopping at a yellow in Boston if you got all the time in the world and you are in a happy place, right? So that person's probably having the best day of their week, right? So they're like, I don't need to, I don't need to rush. I'm on time for once. Let me drive safely, right? But think of that. One car to the next car, the different stories that are shaping our attitudes and how we're behaving. When you're in that car and you're late in our city, your story is that I am the center of the world and everyone must bow to my story, to my reality, to my lateness, and they need to part the seas of Broadway and let me go forth. Right? It's story. Notice when you're on the tee and you overhear people talking, and you never hear the story of uh, when people are talking on the tee, you never hear the, that person talking to their friend while you're eavesdropping, you never hear them say something like, I, am, I messed up so much in my friendship with Timmy. Can you believe what I said to him? I was so rude. I am so cruel. I am a horrible friend. No, what, what story do you hear? Can you believe what Timmy did to me? I lent them my board game. He brought it back with, with uh, Coke and all these stains on it. Can you believe what type of person this is? Every story you eavesdrop on the T, it's about somebody else and how horrible they are. But guess what? If we could transport and hear the other side of that story, guess what we would hear? how horrible that person is, right? And it's this idea of story that we always think of ourselves as the center of our very own story, which then makes it impossible for us to lay down any rights and think about serving others. 
It's only when we rip the, rip the restraints of the story that is centered on us and we step into God's story that now we begin to live in a framework in which it makes sense for us to lay down our rights in order to sacrifice for the good of others. And so Paul is in a different story than the default of the human story. Paul has two feet firmly planted in God's story. Paul is firmly anchored in the story of Jesus Christ and God's redemption moving forward in the world. And because Paul is firmly rooted in this story, this chapter shows us a picture of what is happening or what is ideal to happen in the disciple of Jesus' heart regarding other people. Paul says, it's my joy to preach the gospel for free because I want people to know Jesus deeply. That is my delight. That is my boast. That is my joy. And the big idea from this chapter is this, is that a disciple's deepest delight is to pave the way for people to meet Christ. That's a disciple's deepest delight, is to pave the way to help people meet Christ. And Paul here uses his rights, he lays down his rights to push any barrier away in order to help be a bridge to help others meet Jesus. Paul says, I don't want to take pay for preaching the gospel because in Corinth, people, people were known to speak and be eloquent and be philosophical and, and they would do that to gain money. I don't want to take pay because I don't want any barriers in the way for people to meet Christ. So how do we begin to have this same heart of delight where we would say, I will lay down my rights to help people know Jesus. How do we see this cultivated within our hearts? How do we step into the story of God in such a way that this becomes our delight as well? If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to hear in this sermon how the idea of sharing Jesus from a Christian context is unique to uh, Christianity and different from any other way of sharing faith. So here's how we see this delight that Paul has here enter into us more and more. The first thing that we need to do is we need to understand the story that we're in. We need to understand the story. Paul has a deep understanding of the story that he is in, the story of God's redemption. And Paul understands it so much that it begins to shape his way. Let's go back to that quote that for humans, story is like gravity, an inescapable force that influences everything. What story dominates your mind and your activity week to week? I mean, most of us live under the tyranny of the story of Friday, right? Can I just get to Friday? Not even like the end of Friday, but just like Friday, 10 a.m., Right? Friday, 10 a.m. comes, you're like, yes, thank you, Lord Friday. This is wonderful, right? This sense of relief that washes over us. And it's fine to feel relief at the weekend, right? But, but this, it becomes this sort of story. Some of us live under the story of comfort, right? Our goal and objective in life is to not get called on to do anything, right? And to do as little as possible while gaining as much as possible, right? Some of that, that's our story. We pick our job based on that. What, what is a career where I can make as much money as I can while doing the least amount of effort? Okay, let me, let me do that. Right? What is the story that you live under? Some of us, the story is just survival because life is hard. And so we're just like, how can I just get through? I hear that. But maybe God can help us to, to see even more. 
The story that Paul is situated in, though, is the story of all stories. It's the story that is reality. It's the story of God's work in the world. It's the story of redemption. And it's the story that starts in this way. It's the biblical narrative that that is the truth and the reality of all of our experience. It's the story of this, that this world is broken by sin. That this world is broken by sin. It's broken by the after effects of the rejection of God by humanity. It's broken by the after effects of humanity, you and I's desire to dethrone God and to deify ourselves, to declare good and wrong for ourselves, to declare ourselves as the final authority and autonomy over all things. This world is broken by that. And the way that the biblical narrative paints this story, it paints it in such a way that sin and death kind of ravage through this broken world like an army taking territory. But God, in his love, is breaking in. God in his love is breaking in with healing. God in his love is breaking in with redemption. God in his love is breaking in with forgiveness. God in his love is breaking in with salvation, all tied up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who entered into human history to live the righteous life that we could not live, to die the sinner's death that we deserve, and to raise victorious from the grave, showing that sin and death's power is now undercut. And one day Jesus is going to renew all things as heaven comes down to earth and we exist in perfect embodied harmony with God once again. That is the story that we're in. Paul understands that. Paul understands that story so much so that he even in this passage begins to speak of himself as if he was a major prophet within this story. With this line that he says, woe to me if I preach the gospel. He is calling back on the biblical prophets before him, showing us that he understands himself as playing a vital role in this story of God. Do we understand that this is the story? It's only when we place our story within God's story do we look up from ourselves in order to see that God is doing something in the world around me that isn't just about me, but is about others as well. Have you been gripped by God's story? See, delight comes when we understand the story. Paul is delighted, overjoyed to play a part in God's redemptive story, which is why he says, I'm not claiming my rights. Don't even pay me. I'm just pleased to be a part of this story, to be a part of God's redemptive work and helping people experience that redemption, helping people to know that Savior, helping people to set foot into God's kingdom. I am pleased to be a part of this story. Don't pay me. My payment is having a role in God's story. That is my boast. That is my delight. Delight comes when we understand the story. How many of you saw Star Wars, The Force Awakens? Only this side. This is the non-watching. This is the side that says watching movies is sin, and this is the side that it says it's godly. Um, joking. It was a big deal, right? It was the first kind of Star Wars movie within the kind of the mainstream of the, of the storyline since... The, the bad movies that came out in 2002, 2001, right? So it was a big deal. And it was such a big deal that uh, Daniel Craig, who plays uh, James Bond or did play James Bond uh, for, for some time, uh, he actually, a, a famous, well-known, uh, qualified actor, uh, began to beg to be in the story. 
He, he began to, he, he knew the director, and so he began to ask and beg and say, hey, is, is there any way you can, you can find a place for me uh, in this story? You don't have to credit me. Uh, you, you don't need to put me in the credits. I don't, I don't need to have a speaking part, but can I be, I, I just, this franchise, this story means much to me. Can I be in it some way, some shape and form? And do you know what part they gave him? Stormtrooper. <laughs> So, so it didn't show his face, but, he, but he's in the story. And that was enough for him, right? That was enough for him, uncredited. Um, and he was pleased, right? Craig asked director J.J. Abrams if he could have a cameo in his movie. And J.J. Abrams gave him the role of a stormtrooper. He wanted it so badly, he said, you can take my name off the credits, right? I don't need to be noticed in the story. Just let me know that I have played a role in the story. He begged for a place of no recognition because the story was that meaningful to him. Right? You, you, see, you see where we're going, right? You see, you see where we're moving here. I'll do anything to be in this story. Let me, let me tell you this. Right now, there is, a redemptive, there is a redemptive emergency happening in the world. God is breaking into this world of sin, death, and decay. And God is changing lives, transforming people, bringing people into his kingdom across the whole world. Do you want to be a part of this story? Do you want a place in what God is doing? Do you want to be a part of people's lives being transformed, people coming to know God, their creator, the world being freed from death, sickness, and decay as the kingdom of God advances? Do you want to be a part of the story of God? That is what Jesus is inviting us into. Paul is so deeply moved by this. He says, don't pay me. It's my delight to preach the gospel. I won't, uh, it's not enough for me to just preach it because I have to. It's my delight to do it, to be a part of this movement of God. And delight comes when we understand the story, when we understand the stakes, that we are right in the middle of God's redemptive plan for the world. Do you want a part to play in this story? Paul moves us forward. He shows us it's the delight of every disciple to play a part in paving the way for people to know Christ, and he begins to show us how that happens. One, we get delight, we desire to do this when we understand the story, but secondly, there is actually a way in which we, we help play a part in the story. Look at verses 19 through 23. Paul just says, even though Jesus and Moses both in Scripture say, I ought to be paid for what I do, I do it for free because I'm not grabbing hold of my rights. It's my delight to preach Jesus for free. I'm so excited to be a part of the story. And then he begins to tell us how he is participating in the story. Look at verses 19 through 23. For though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul is so gripped by the story of God, by a love for God, by a love for others, that he says, I, though I am free from all, Though I have no obligations on me, though I am free in Jesus, he says in 19, I make myself a slave to all people in order that I might serve them, in order that they might come to know Jesus. 
Paul's disposition, his posture is, how can I be a servant of others in order to help them into the kingdom of God? That is his mind frame shaped by the story of God and the redemptive emergency, the redemptive situation that we find ourselves in as Jesus is on the move in our world. That is Paul's state of mind. Paul has, I get this imagery that Paul sees himself as doing anything he can to pave the way to help people meet Jesus. Paul sees himself as being a bridge, wanting to meet people where they are in order to be the bridge upon which they walk in order to come to know the good news of Jesus. This is Paul's mind frame. This is Paul's heartbeat. This is Paul's deep desire. And notice what Paul is laying out for us here. Paul is laying out for us here a model of sharing the gospel, a model of evangelism, if you will, a model of missional living, if you will, that is so unique in this regard. Paul's whole desire is to enter into the experience of the outsider in order to help them set foot into a relationship with Jesus. Paul paves the way to help people meet Jesus by entering into their story and their experience. Look at what he says. To the Jews, I became like a, what does he say? Jew. To those outside the law, I became like one outside the law. Though I was not uh, under the law or outside the law, but under the law of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying here. When he encountered Jewish people, and he saw the way that they thought, the way that they reasoned, the way that they lived. He knew this because he grew up under this. When he saw that, he looked at them and he said, let me enter into your experience as much as I can, as long as it doesn't lead me into sin, in order that I can be alongside of you to show you what it looks like for a Jewish person to come to know Jesus. And when he encountered Gentiles, people who did not know the law of God, people who did not know Genesis, people who did not know Exodus, people who did not know Numbers, people who did not know Deuteronomy, people who had no framework of any of those things, he said, well, insofar as it doesn't cause me to sin, let me set myself in your shoes. Let me stand alongside of you and let me help you from your way of reasoning and your way of thinking, your way of living, your way of understanding. Let me walk alongside of you to help you know Jesus. And to those with a weak conscience... Paul said, well, let me live under what it looks like to have a weak conscience insofar as it doesn't lead me to sin in order that I might walk alongside of you to help you understand, to help answer your questions from your worldview in order that you too might come to trust in the good news that Jesus lived for us, died for us, and rose for us. Let me do anything. Let me be all things to all people in order that I might win some. We see this in Paul's preaching. If we look at the book of Acts, we look at a place like Acts 14, and then we look at a place like Acts 17, and you think to yourself, is this two personalities in one preacher? In one sermon, Paul is going hard from the Old Testament scriptures, declaring from the law of Moses and showing why Jesus is the Messiah. But then you get to Acts 17, Paul is not using scripture at all. Paul is using the Greek uh, uh, poets and, and philosophers that were, that were known and believed in by his audience in order to help them know Jesus. Paul enters into the experience of the people he is trying to reach insofar as it doesn't lead him to sin in order to make known to them from a worldview position that they can understand what it looks like to trust in Jesus. Paul is showing us what it looks like to serve people by meeting them where they are in order to pave the way for them to know Jesus. Right, think about it like this. Think about the idea of languages, maybe the, the easiest, simplest way to get this. If Paul comes 
to Gentiles and only begins to try to speak to them and answer their questions in the Hebrew language, there's going to be a problem. They're not going to understand. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to connect with them. But if he comes and he speaks in a way that hits their hearts, if he answers the questions that they have, if he starts there and builds towards Jesus, they're going to be able to track with him, to walk with him, and to begin to understand. And Paul says, because of that, I will lay down any right, any privilege, any comfort that I have, and I will sacrifice that insofar as it doesn't lead me to sin to help pave the way for these people to know Christ. Because I understand the story, I love God, and I want these people to be in the kingdom. I want to share in the blessings of the gospel with them, verse 23. Now, this is a very different way of sharing Jesus than oftentimes we see caricatured. This is an incarnational way of sharing Jesus. This is a way to enter into the experience, the questions, the desires, the fears of the people around us. And that's very different from the model of evangelism we often see where we try to force feed something onto others. Look at the model God is showing us. The other beauty of this model is, think about this. Paul, when he preaches to Jews, he embodies a Jewish way of being Christian. And when he preaches to Gentiles, he embodies a Gentile way of being Christian insofar as it doesn't call him into sin. This is the beauty of Christianity, that Christianity does not come in a cultural package when dealt with biblically, but it moves into each culture in its unique way with the same core essential message and truth. So there is a Gentile way of being a Christian, and there is a Jewish way of being a Christian. Paul, when he is with the Jews, we see him do a couple of things. He takes a Nazarene vow. In Acts, he keeps his hair long. He doesn't cut it. It's not an issue of sin or not sin, but he does it because he knows for the Jews, it will help it make it easier for them to track with his preaching. When he's with the Gentiles, he doesn't do any of that stuff because he knows that stuff is just going to confuse them. And so Paul enters into their experience. We see an extreme uh, situation of this with Timothy, Paul's, uh, one of Paul's best friends. When Paul takes Timothy in Acts 16 to go preach to the Jews, guess what he has Timothy do? He says, Timothy, we're going to bring you to the doctor. And it's time for you to get circumcised because it will make hearing the gospel easier for these people that we're going to go preach to. And Timothy, being a person who wants to lay down his rights like Christ, says, put me on the table. And they go forward and preach Jesus. Now, Paul knows that that is not a uh, way that saves anyone. It's an old way of, uh, a way of marking yourself as a people of God, but he knew it would make it easier for his hearers to understand the gospel. But later, when Paul is with Titus in Titus 2, and there are certain people saying to Titus, Titus, you have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised to, be a, to, to bear the mark of Abraham, to really be a part of God's people. Paul says to them, no, he doesn't. Well, what's the difference? Timothy's circumcision was a way of paving the road for people to hear the gospel. But other people were saying, Titus, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. There's a difference there. So Paul says, I will do anything outside of sin to help people understand the gospel, but those things that I do to help them understand the gospel are not what save them. They are ways of paving the road to help them meet Jesus. Now, let me tell you this. When you begin to share Jesus in this way, when you begin to see yourself in this way, people want to come near you. Because in order to do the type of entering in of sharing Jesus, the sort of incarnational, stepping into your experience way of sharing Jesus that Paul embodies here, in order to do this, you truly have to know people. And let me tell you this. When people feel like they are being heard, do you know what they do in conversation? They lean in. 
They lean in because they feel heard. They lean in because they feel loved. They lean in because they see that you care for them. And if you follow Paul's model here, people will lean into relationship with you. So how do we do this? How do we, like Paul, say, I'm going to lay down my rights, my comforts, my privileges in order to help pave the way for people to know and to meet Jesus? Well, the first thing we have to do is this. We have to understand the story. We have to receive the gospel. The good news that Jesus himself entered into our story, died for us, rose for us to bring us to God. And once we've done that, the way that we begin to live out these verses of 19 through 23 that Paul shows for us is we do this first, is that we develop a Christian curiosity about people's stories, people's beliefs, and people's values. What Paul is doing here is Paul is developing a sensitivity to the unique worldview and values of Jews, Gentiles, and people with weak consciences. We could think about it like this, developing an understanding for the values, the worldviews, the questions, the obstacles of religious people, non-religious people, and people by different cultures and people groups. Think about it this way. If you are a minority, you have a different experience than somebody in majority culture. If you are a Jew, you have a different framework than somebody at this time who was a Gentile. You bring a different set of questions, a different set of values, a different set of beliefs, a different set of objections when it comes to the person and work of Jesus. And in order to embody this uh, incarnational way of sharing Jesus, we have to develop a curiosity about what people think and why they think what they think. And guess what? You may have noticed this about people, but people love to tell you what they think about things, don't they? If you do this, you will become people's best friends. They will lean into you. You don't have to do much preaching at first if you embody this way of sharing Jesus that God gives us here in Scripture. All you have to do is ask questions. And guess what? People love to be asked questions. They will go on and on and on and on and on until you say, I've missed my bus. It's time for me to leave. They will go on and on. People will lean into relationship with you because this is the wisdom of God of how to love people. Are you curious about people? Or in conversation, do you just look for your time to blab? Well, they talk and you're thinking, well, I have a better story about that. Or do you develop a curiosity and you wonder, why do you believe what you believe? Tell me more about that. Develop a curiosity about people's stories, desires, fears, hopes, and questions. And understand that this is different for all different types of stages of life. There is a different set of fears, hopes, and desires for a new mom versus somebody trying to climb the ladder in the corporate world. There's a different set of worldview, desires, and beliefs for a college student and somebody who just set foot into, uh, into professional life. And so we want to be sensitive to that, and we want to understand those things. So we develop a curiosity about people's story and values by asking them questions. Why do you think that? Tell me more. Well, how did you come to believe that? Have you always thought that? What do you think is really true? Develop a curiosity about people's stories and values. Second thing we do is we identify obstacles and points of entry. This comes from knowing people's stories. Paul understood the point of entry for Jews, the point of entry for Gentiles. He understood with Jews, let me just go to the law of Moses. Let's start right here in Leviticus. Talk about the purity of God. But he knew if he did that to Gentiles, they would just look at him sideways and walk the other way. So we need to develop an understanding of what are the obstacles and point of entries for the people around us if we want to help pave the way for them to know Jesus. Let me tell you an example of this. Some of your friends 
if they were to hear you talk about the love of God, would love to hear about that all day long. But if you talk about the holiness of God, or the exclusivity of Jesus, or the truthfulness of Scripture, those would be the obstacles. But you have other friends that the idea of God's love sounds meh, but the idea of God's justice sounds wonderful. A God who cares about the vulnerable, a God who cares about the weak, a God who cares about the marginalized. You have to understand the entry points, because what do you do with an entry point? You enter in. You start there. That's the place to begin. Think of how foolish it is to go to a friend or for Paul to come to the Gentiles and start by talking about all of these gods that you have, they're all false. Well, how, much, how, how long are they going to listen to him? Instead, in Acts 17, he goes and he sees all of their gods, and he knows they're all false. But do you know what he says? I see you have many gods. Let me tell you about the God who lived, died, and rose again. You, do you see the difference there? Paul knows they're going to deal with that. He knows he has to do that, but he's going to start at the entry point in order to build from their soul. In the people around you, do you know the entry points and the obstacles based on who they are, based on their story? The third thing we do is we know their stories from a curiosity of love for them. We identify, we think about their, what are their points of entries, what are their obstacles, as Paul does here. And then thirdly, we do this, we communicate in a way that makes sense for where they are. We communicate in a way that makes sense for where they are. I remember not doing this with my good friend Brad. In college, we were, uh, we were talking about uh, the gospel or something. I think he came to one of our, our Bible studies. Um, and then he's like, man, I don't know about all this. I don't think sin is a real thing. And you know what, you know what I did? Um, because I totally understood this passage. Uh, you know what I did? I said, well, J- James 1 says if we break one law, we break all laws. So have you ever broken this law? Then you've broken all laws. And he looks at me with a blank face, and he's like, who's James? <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm gonna, let me go home and talk to you tomorrow, right? It's this idea that that, that framework, it did not, it did not start, he, it wasn't where he was. And so we got to think about where are people? How do we communicate things in a way that connects with people where they are, right? It's something for us to consider. Here is part of uh, attached to the idea of entry points, right? Paul is able to do this because he understands deeply the story. He understands deeply the truth of the gospel. And this is a challenge for each of us if we're following Jesus, where we need to understand the truth of the gospel in a way that is a little bit, um, a little bit broader and a little bit more drilled down than just the idea of Jesus died for our sins. And, and here's what I mean by that. If we want to communicate to people where they are, just as Paul communicated to the Jews and Paul communicated to the Gentiles where they are, we need to understand that we have certain people in our lives that we are in close relationship to who are incredibly lonely, people who feel cut off from their fathers or their family, and we need to communicate the gospel to them in a way that makes sense with where they are. So it's not just enough for us to say, Jesus died for our sins, but maybe we can connect how Jesus died for their sins into the very needs and things that they're facing right now. So to those who are lonely, we don't just say Jesus died for your sins, but God is with you because of what Jesus has done. For those who feel a sense of no belonging or no sense of identity, we talk about how God has adopted them as a child, a son, or daughter through the work of Jesus. We begin to connect the truth of Jesus into the very place that we hear that they are in because we have a curiosity about their story. This is what Paul is doing here with the Jews and Gentiles. And then fourthly, we see ourselves, verse 19, we see ourselves as their servants. We see ourselves 
in this way to people who don't know Jesus. We don't see them uh, as, as our enemies. We don't see them as projects. We see ourselves as people given by God to serve them, to pave the way for them to come to know Jesus. We see ourselves as people who are in a position, in a relationship with him in order to lay down rights to help them know Christ. Paul laid down some of his ethnic identity. He acted like a non-Jew when he was with Gentiles. He laid down his freedom when he was with the Jews. He acted under Jewish law, even though he was really only under the law and reign of Christ. He laid down rights because he saw himself as a servant of those people. Let me ask you this. Do you see yourself as a servant given to those around you who do not know Jesus and a servant who is laying down what? What are you laying down of your rights in order to pave the way for people to know Christ? Let me tell you this, I think the most relevant thing to lay down for us in this regard to embody this incarnational way of doing mission, doing evangelism, I think the things that we have to lay down are not rights uh, around whether we, we follow the ceremonial law or we, we, we take these freedoms. I think it's really the rights and our privileges around our time and around our hospitality. You think about it uh, this way, your, your time and your home, your, your, your time and, and, and your interests, right? Hospitality, creating time and space for people is the red carpet of helping someone find their way to Jesus. But the problem for this is we think of time as our money and we think of our home as a castle. And so these are things that we do not want to lay down in order to create a space to hear people's stories. And then we wonder, well, how come none of my friends know Jesus? Well, maybe because they need to come close to you, and you need to develop a curiosity about their stories, and you need to see yourself as a servant meant to help them and to pave the way for them to meet Christ. So maybe consider this. How, like Paul, can you lay down some of the privileges around your time, around your home, around your hospitality, whatever that looks like for you? How can you lay some of those down to enter into people's stories that you might help pave the way for them to know Jesus? The third thing that, people, that Paul shows us in the next three verses that we don't have time to look at closely, but Paul talks about this idea of discipline, that he disciplines himself as an athlete who doesn't want to lose the prize of playing a role in God's story. So he keeps at this with discipline, and he, he, he believes that there is a destination. He uses this analogy of running a race, and, and I'm not going to disqualify myself from the race. I don't want to lose the prize of playing a part in this story. And I think there's a lesson for us here in this particular way, that God is not calling us to live with a panicked hysteria, that I've got to do something to help people know Jesus, and we become panicked, but he's also not calling us to a settled, nonchalant coolness that says, hey, God's going to do what he does, do what, do, do what he wants to do, everything's going to work out. God calls us to a sense of urgency, a, sen a sense of settled urgency, that God is in control, but we have a part to play in the story. A redemptive emergency is happening around us. God is breaking into this world covered in sin and death, and he's breaking in with the good news of Jesus, and things are urgent. Will we play a part in the story? I think the encouragement for us in these last three verses of this text are this. Do you have a vision for how you in your life right now can play a part in God's story in helping pave the way for people to know Jesus? Do you have a vision for that? Do you have an idea of what that might look like for you right now? 
Or is the, the primary foresight, the primary destination, the primary planning, the primary thinking in your life, is it simply just built around the story of you? Has the story of God broken into your life in such a way that it shapes how you think about your role in the story right now? And maybe your role in the story right now is, I have prayer. Maybe your role in the story is, I have a season. I can, I can really open up myself. I can get a lot of coffee with people I can, and be bouncing off the walls. Or I, I, I have an apartment for the first time in my life without roommates. Praise God. Let me use this to have people. I don't know what it is. What is it for you? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed through it? Have you talked about it with other disciples to think about? How can I use this segment of my life for the story of God? Because we want to be like Paul whose delight was to pave the way to help people meet Christ. And here's the funny thing. I want to say this in closing. The way that we become like Paul is to look through Paul to the person that he is trying to become like. So when we look at this text, we look at Paul and we see him hold himself up as an example. But Paul is really only an example because he's following the capital E example of Jesus Christ. Paul crosses cultural lines in order to help people come to God. But think of the lines that Jesus crossed in order to get us home to God. Paul crosses religious, cultural, and ethnic lines. But Jesus Christ didn't just take on a new culture. Jesus Christ didn't just take on customs. Jesus Christ took on human flesh. Jesus Christ entered into human history. Jesus Christ laid down the privileges, not of being paid for the gospel, but laid down the privileges of reigning and ruling over all things in order to be born into human history as a child. Think of the lines that Jesus crossed Jesus Christ crossed in order to get us and bring us into the kingdom of God. Paul says, don't pay me. Jesus Christ says, you can kill me. Paul says, I'm not claiming these rights. But Jesus Christ says, I will not even claim hold of my right to live. I will lay that down for my people. Jesus Christ is the one that we look to. And then we follow him into this sacrificial way of entering into people's stories to help them come to know Jesus. The good news for us is Jesus has so entered into our experience. He took on human flesh, died the death we deserve, and rose victorious from the grave in order that we might share the blessings of his work. And the blessings of his work is this. One, that if you hear this message and you think, I have fallen so short, the blessings of his work is that you're forgiven. And the blessings of his work as well is that you have his spirit to help you grow and change so that you look at yourself not just as being the star of your story, but playing a part in God's story. You look at yourself as not competing with others, but as a servant to others because you are trusting in and following Jesus Christ, the one who reigns and rules, but came to be servant of all. That's our hope. I want us to take a moment of silent prayer and reflection. And in light of this, to really reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Maybe as you pray, you go to God with confession, seeing the ways in which you've centered your life only on your story. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you in this time of silent prayer to simply ask and say, God, if this story is true, if this is really reality, would you make that known to me? Let's take a moment to pray in silent prayer, and I'll lead us in prayer aloud as we prepare for communion and worship.